This podcast is brought to you by the L3 Advisors Group. The L3 Advisors Group supports leaders as they are creating their own legacy. Services include coaching, facilitation services for organizational planning, and advisory services. To learn more about the L3 Advisors Group, go to l3advisors.org learn. Have you ever wondered where your nursing career might take you or marveled at the direction in which some of your nursing colleagues have traveled and just how they got there? I'm Marianne O'Reilly, one of the founding members of L3 Advisors Group, Leaders Leaving Legacies. 40 some years ago as a new nursing grad, I never imagined that my professional life would take me from bedside nursing through law school, risk management, patient safety, high reliability work, coaching, advising, and ultimately entrepreneurship. As you enjoy this podcast, which honors one of nurses, nursing's truly genuine living legends, listen to how she walked through the doors that were open to her, even when she doubted that she was ready. Hear how authenticity and being true to her values has shaped the course of her career and the advice that she has for future and current leaders. Also hear how the role that mentoring played along the way. But finally, what's giving her hope today for the profession of nursing? Now it's time to plug in, take a walk, maybe a spin, or just a drive home and enjoy Anne's story. Welcome to Leaders Leaving Legacies, the nursing series. This is the inaugural podcast of a series that will highlight healthcare leaders and their legacies. I'm your host, Deb McElroy, and this podcast is presented by the L3 Advisors Group. I'm excited to be with you today to kick off this series. In my own professional journey and that of my colleagues, I've been privileged to witness truly great leaders. This forum is a chance to highlight some of those leaders and to share the stories of people who have truly made a difference. Today and the following episodes, we will focus on nurse leaders who have made an impact on healthcare and on the profession of nursing. Certainly in the pandemic and as we experience the ongoing challenges in the healthcare system, we understand the value of this role more than ever. We will talk to leaders who have the benefit of looking back on a long career, but we'll also be talking to those still in the trenches, creating a legacy as they go. And as we hear about impactful moments, situations, decisions, outcomes driven by those who will be our guests, it is our goal that you walk away having gained insights, inspiration, and most importantly, some hope for what lies ahead. I am going to welcome our guest today, Ann Scott Bluen. Ann, thank you again for being with us on this first of our series. Just a bit about Ann. Ann is the principal and founder of PSQ Advisory, uh, whose purpose is to deliver strategic guidance to America's healthcare systems. Ann believes that quality and patient safety are critical to the strategic success and financial well-being of healthcare systems, and she's been advising clients in that area for the past 15 years. 
Prior to founding PSQ Advisory, Dr. Bluen was the Executive Vice President of Customer Relations at the Joint Commission. And with more than 35 years of healthcare administration, consulting, and clinical nursing experience, she has held key senior leadership positions at community teaching hospitals, academic medical centers, and prominent global consulting firms. She has a wide scope of expertise and has worked with healthcare systems all across the United States and in Canada. In addition, she has a foot in academia. She's been adjunct faculty member at several Chicago area schools of nursing and medicine and is a longstanding member of Loyola University's Marcella Niehoff School of Nursing Dean's Council, and she's also currently an assistant professor there, and has published and presented extensively on topics focused on healthcare leadership, patient care quality and safety, as well as nursing, and she earned her PhD in nursing and her MBA from University of Illinois in Chicago. And welcome, and can you talk a little bit about the chapters in your professional journey? Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Deb. Thank you for the honor of asking me to share some of my experiences with you. Like many of us, I began my career clinically as a nursing assistant and a staff nurse in obstetrics and pediatrics and served as a nurse manager and director of nursing at Prentice Women's Hospital, Northwestern Medicine now, Northwestern Memorial Hospital. And then did something interesting. I did a lateral into hospital administration and became a product line manager and worked with my prior colleagues, direct reports as a peer and and learned about, started to learn about the business side of healthcare, which was very interesting to me. I had a master's of science in nursing already from Loyola and went in maternal child health and went back to school to get my additional schooling after I became a chief nursing officer. And after a series of years, recognized that if I wanted to do additional work, I probably needed to have a master's in business administration. So I had a little broader basis in finance and economics and also a PhD. So I did go back to school, concurrently ended up matriculating for both the PhD in nursing and the MBA. And some nurse friends came to me and said, why don't you be a consultant while you're in school, you know, make a salary? Because I was obviously working, I was working in my degrees full time. My dissertation was on shared governance uh, and it was a quantitative dissertation in five different hospitals with nursing shared governance, looking at the consonants or dissonance of values between the C-suite nurse managers and staff nurses. And a couple friends said, you know, you've done work in care management, case management, shared governance, exempt salary administration for staff nurses, nurse recruitment retention come and work with us as a consultant. So I did. And that was my first venture into just a tiny little consultancy to start to learn how consultants worked. And I found that I loved it. I really loved consulting. I really enjoyed going in, looking at a problem, helping work with people, developing potential solutions. From consulting, I I was a consultant at Ernst & Young, then Capgemini Ernst & Young, Huron and Deloitte. I ended up being recruited as an executive VP initially of accreditation and certification operations at the Joint Commission. All of the surveyors, all of the account executives, uh, survey scheduling, uh, quality measures, office of quality monitoring, all of that reported to me, basically a chief operating officer at the Joint Commission. And I 
really felt blessed to go there and be able to also co-manage my dad personally, who had a series of MIs, a series of heart attacks and ended up with congestive heart failure. So I became his case manager, the daughter nurse care manager. And I could do that while I was at the Joint Commission. I think it would have been harder to do that while I was traveling full-time as a consultant. And so at the Joint Commission, I had two roles, uh, each about five years as executive VP, and I developed a function for them on customer relations. And really, I think we'll talk about making a difference. For me, it was most important to change within the confines of CMS Joint Commission back to a teaching helping organization as opposed to someone, a group to be feared and hated, which is what it was when I entered in in 2008. So I retired from the Joint Commission in 2018, started the small consultancy again, another one, and ended up teaching Loyola. And really why I left the Joint Commission was to do board work, governance work. And that's where the vast majority of my time is now spent in governance work. I'm a board member for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, actually chaired the nominating governance committee for four years, which was great experience and, and I think I was able to help with a team, accomplish quite a bit. I am on a public company board, a corporate board, which is very uh, challenging to get on, but very rewarding. I'm on a board of a public company that um, manages about 200 uh, skilled nursing facilities throughout the United States and assisted living. And then I serve on three healthcare technology startup boards, two that are software as a system, SaaS uh, companies and one that is a product. And that's something I didn't anticipate. I would be asked to join boards of technology companies. I'm a process person, not a techie. And I thought, why would they want me? Well, they'd want me because of my nursing background and because of my leadership background. And so I've learned as much, Deb, as I hope I've given uh, back. And along the way, I've been mentoring nurses and non-nurses. There is a lot to unpack in that description, but it's been a privilege for me to be woven through some of your journey. And I just, when you talk about what you did with consulting and you talk about what you did in those executive roles, can you talk just a little bit more? Because I've seen your passion for that. It is, Deb. It's an excellent observation. Quality and safety really is a thread that began back when I was a nursing assistant and a staff nurse. Originally, I was a young nurse and thought, well, gee, the idea of delivering at home in your cozy environment sounded like a great idea. And then I started to do some reading about the fact that, at least at that point, about 10% of all normal pregnant ladies turn high risk during labor and delivery. And I had had no idea about that, even though I had worked in labor and delivery as a staff nurse. I thought, gosh, 10% can turn high risk without any warning. They weren't, they didn't have heart disease or hypertension or any other type, you know, of pre-existing condition. Gosh. So I started to research the area of quality and safety, even back as a staff nurse, As a nurse manager, I chaired at Northwestern Memorial, their nursing quality committee, which was a great quality improvement committee, a great experience for me to start to work across clinical specialties. That was very, very helpful. And then as I started to climb the ladder, I looked at what we were measuring in quality and safety and were we making a difference and and areas 
like early root cause analysis really fascinated me. I became a green belt along the way when I was at Joint Commission too. But I was fortunate at Deloitte. I was actually asked to lead their quality and safety solutions area. And together with a group of pharmacists, nurses, physicians, we actually did some excellent work looking at everything from the governance of quality and safety, which I have a great deal of interest in, the governance model, uh, such as what IHI has done, down to individual patient engagement in their own care and well-being. So quality and safety is definitely a thread that has been woven throughout my entire life. And when I decided to retire and work in governance, I really wanted to work in areas of quality and safety, which is what I've focused on. That's wonderful. And and I love because you you mention it as an aside, but I think anybody that works in healthcare has experienced, well, all of us, I think, who, you know, in families, that balance, right, between having to drive that professionally, but you have to drive it in your own family life as well. And you gave the example of taking care of your dad. You and I have talked and you had some thoughts on key lessons. So, you know, in this series, we really want leaders to be able to hear the stories and and really just, you know, learn from you. So can you talk a little bit about those lessons? Thanks, Deb. I'd be happy to. The first lesson is one that I will confess I I learned over a lifetime, which is be true to yourself and be true to your own values. If, If you have, all of us have sets of values. They come from our family, from our religion, from our upbringing, but be true to those values. If If you sense you're working in an organization that has different values than you have, that may end up a challenge quite quite candidly and may not be the right location for someone to work in. Second thing is the culture, because culture really does eat strategy for lunch, as that old expression goes. Culture is carried by the people, and it's extremely important that the culture that you lead in, whether it's leading as a staff nurse, taking care of patients, whether it's leading as a nurse manager or director or chief nursing officer, leading as a faculty member, it's important that the culture that you contribute to and that you live, that you truly actually understand the culture that you're in. And if it's not the right culture, either do your best to change what you can. I love that expression, you know, change what you can, but understand that there are some things you can't change and have the wisdom to know the difference. So culture is very important. And I think that I learned over time when I was in a culture that didn't fit my value system and that didn't match for me, I wasn't going to stay a long time in that particular organization. Another lesson I learned was to walk through the door when the door is opened for you. Even if you don't have all of the skills and attributes, my my uh, good friend and, and boss at one time at Northwestern recruited me and I said, oh, I can't be a manager. I, I don't know how to do budgets. And she said, oh, Ann, gosh, you can learn budgets. That's not a big deal. I'm recruiting you for your leadership skills. So men frequently say, oh, sure, I can do that job or I can take on that task. But women sometimes are a little self-effacing. And I would say a lesson learned for me was not to be quite so self-effacing. And if a challenge was put in front of me, walk through that door. Ask for help uh, is another, another thing that's important. I have had a series of wonderful mentors throughout my lifetime, men and women, nurses and non-nurses, who have mentored me, saw 
leadership skills and abilities in my performance and said, uh, here's some things I think that would make you an even better leader than, than what you have done to date. So take those, take advantage of those mentors and reach out to them when you need some help. I've had the great privilege of mentoring a number of nurse leaders, and I've been mentored by nurse leaders even now. Uh, mentorship doesn't end when you get older. That, that's a, that's a, something important to talk about. There's a colleague that was a CEO at a Chicagoland uh, organization who was a nurse by background. And she and I were talking about something and I had developed a, a model around nurse recruitment and retention and nursing workforce. And she had developed a model around process improvement. And we shared our models and we readily, uh, honestly talked about uh, revisions that we could each make in those. And she offered to uh, connect me to some key people. So mentorship goes on throughout your whole lifetime and, and I think should go out on throughout your whole lifetime. It's a, it's a gift to mentor someone else and it's a gift to be mentored. I love that. And as you're talking about walking through the door, it, it really at the top of the conversation, you were talking about the unexpected role of advising on a tech company. I mean, that's walking. I think that's a great example, even at this point of your professional life to walk through a door that was unanticipated. I've also heard you say that there's no amount of written or spoken word that matters when staff doesn't believe what you say. So I, it's just something that you had said to me that really struck me. So you've, you've given some lessons around culture and, and fit and that kind of thing. So can you comment on that? Authenticity is something that you can't fake. I think staff have a great intuitive metric that in their minds, if you tell them something and you're not authentic, you don't actually believe what you say and your behaviors don't match what you speak. Behaviors always speak, actions do speak louder than words. So if you say you're going to follow up and do something and make rounds on nights, then do it. Actually do it. Uh, don't, don't come up with a million excuses. I, when I was a chief nursing officer, it's interesting, I asked my assistant, you know, to be flexible with, obviously, if a physician came in and there was an issue, dealt with it, of course, or there was a patient care quality or an emergency, dealt with it, of course. But one of the areas that I asked her not to change to the best of her ability was rounds, was unit rounds. Couldn't always go to every unit because uh, it was a good size uh, hospital health system. Couldn't go to every ambulatory site as often as I wanted. But when I put rounds on the calendar, I asked that those not be canceled because I felt that authenticity came from getting to know me as the chief nurse. And that's hard to do with thousands and thousands in a big health system these days. But whether you do it via Zoom messages, whether you do it through personal thank you notes, I used to write personal thank you notes to the staff when they did a rescue of a patient who was in distress or did something extraordinary for a family or a patient, you wouldn't believe how much those notes meant to people. Be who you really are because the staff will see right through it. In my experience, if you're trying to be a phony baloney, they know, they know. Don't say something because then what happens is it really violates trust. Trust comes from a combination of being an authentic leader, being reliable, doing what you say you're going to do, being accountable, you, you have to be accountable. If you're the chief nurse, you're the chief nurse. Over your own self-interest, are you more interested in your own 
career advancement versus quality, high, you know, high quality, safe care for the patients and worker safety. One of the things that so impressed me about the board that I sit on for the skilled nursing facility is their value is that patients or residents, as they're called in, in long-term care, come second. And I thought, second? How could patients come second? Well, the employees come first, because if you don't take care of the employees and do a good job and keep them safe and you know, feeling good about themselves and the company, your patients' care will suffer. So I thought that was a great insight in terms of the culture. I, I agree. So, you know, I, I mean, there's a great deal of accomplishment, achievement that we're talking about. Is there anything that's still a challenge, even at this point in time? Yeah, my husband, if my husband were answering that question, Bob would say overcommitting. I was just asked to join the Carol Emmett Foundation Leadership Council, which is comprised of lots of wonderful people that we know and that have been leaders in healthcare and in nursing. And the purpose of that is to advance women leaders. And so it's an, it's an area I've had passion for a, a long time. So I agreed to do it. And my husband first, my husband said, Anne, you said you weren't going to join any more leadership groups or boards. What's going on here? Come on. How much is the commitment? So I think I overcommit. That's probably my biggest challenge. We also watch our grandkids uh, here locally one day a week. So uh, trying to balance all that and not overcommit is probably my biggest challenge. Yeah, I, I do hear that. We're talking about leaders leaving legacies and, you know, heard a lot of the impact that you've had, but what would you say your legacy is? My legacy is probably the work I did initially at the Joint Commission those first five years where I really had to work with a team of people to turn around. And it's not perfect uh, by any means, but when I entered, because I had, I knew a number of C-suite leaders across the country from my days at Deloitte and Huron and Ernst and Young, I had to really ask people to work with me and help me kind of change the direction of the ship. And moving the Queen Mary is not easy. So changing the culture of the surveyors, helping the surveyors understand that their role was to teach and guide, not to penalize. Now, CMS is always there putting constraints on the Joint Commission, but it was really interesting to me when I studied it it was the hospital program that was the problem. All the other healthcare settings, behavioral health and home care and ambulatory and skilled nursing, the surveyors were seen as helpful and they were seen as teachers. And so the very first year I was there, I had a, you know, come to come to whatever okay. conversation with the surveyors saying, guys, we are not in the business of being mean. You know, if you want to be mean, go work for the state survey, go work for the state departments of health. Our job is to try to help people do better. So quality of care and safety of care improves. That's really our job. That's our core mission. And when you do that, people can't be afraid of you. So you have to work with people to say, I know this doesn't make sense. This is a CMS regulation condition of participation. But here's some things I've seen as a surveyor that might help you and that might make it better. And, and so we put together a series of resources, everything from the workplace violence portal that I co-led with a physician, the development, and 
we put together stories and, and sets of things called power packs or booster packs for really complex things like high-level disinfection and sterilization, which, are, which is not easy. So my legacy would have to be helping lead the turnaround of the ship of the Joint Commission to a kinder, gentler, more educational organization. Yeah, so culture shift and back to the authenticity that you talked about, and I love that. So, well, I want to do now a little exercise, a little rapid fire, bring it home kind of questions. So these will be real quick. These are going to be questions we're going to ask everybody that just so they get to know you better. So number one, what caused you to laugh out loud at work? Honestly, when an employee, I won't say what organization, brought a parrot, her significant other parrot to the office with her on her shoulder, not in a cage, on her shoulder. That caused me to laugh out loud. <laughs> okay. Did the needless parrot to say, talk? Needless to say, a parrot, uh, yes, the parrot chatted. Uh, and the parrot, she wanted to put the parrot on her uh, health insurance. Okay. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Okay. Number two, finish this line for me. If I said to you, give, or if you were to say, give me five minutes with a new nurse, newly licensed nurse, and I will well, do what? I will talk about the importance of um, his or her role in quality and safety in everything that he or she does. Love it. Next question, what is an insult that you received as a leader that you actually consider to be a compliment? When I was a chief nursing officer, my CEO said to me that while he was extremely impressed with all the innovations I was launching with my nursing strategic plan for recruitment and retention, that I really actually wouldn't be able to be successful in all of those innovations. And I, I just looked at him and said, why not? Why can't I succeed? And all these innovative ideas to recruit and retain registered nurses. So that was a good one. I, I think he probably was, was right that I was a little overly optimistic. I love it. Okay, so someone is writing a book about you, Anne. What's the title? I think the title would be Becoming a Nurse Can Lead You Anywhere. Well, I'm going to applaud that one. I love that. Last question. What's the most valuable coaching advice that you received professionally that probably had significant impact for you? Be true to your values. Be true to who you are. I had a couple of occasions where I was asked to do things that were either blatantly illegal or immoral, and I chose not to do them. Well, I can hear listeners applauding <laughs> that one. So it's it's such a gift to have time with you today. So I'm, you know, just as we're wrapping up, I'm just interested, like what's giving you hope right now? D difficult times, right? D just difficult times. I don't even know that we can say we're totally post-pandemic, but certainly have been through rough years, healthcare systems really struggling. What's giving you hope right now? My teaching at Loyola with the graduate students in nursing and healthcare administration gives me hope. I listen to and obviously teach and grade young and, and middle-aged nurses who have gone on to graduate education. Their smarts, their energy, their ideas, their way of meeting the challenges, all of them are working. 
These are all people either in leadership positions or wanting to be in leadership positions. That really gives me hope. As I listen and read through their posting on the software, and I talk with some of them about their ideas and their thoughts, as I read their ways in the course that I teach on advanced quality and safety, each of them get to pick a topic that they'd like to work on and research and and write a paper on. As I read their ideas and look at how they've addressed the topic, the research they've done, the thoughtfulness with which they've addressed their questions, it gives me great hope, Deb. Great hope for the profession of nursing and great hope for the leadership of our health systems. That's wonderful. And, And again, one of the things that we want to do is give hope as well. I think there, there's lots to, lots to be hopeful for. So we have listeners who, just as you said, with those you're teaching, are either leaders, want to be leaders, all different parts of their journey. Any words of wisdom? Yes, I have one, which is to persevere through failure. There will be times in each of our careers that we will fail. We will be fired. We will be find ourselves in a position that is not challenging or wrong value system, or uh, you're, you've got sick family members or difficult work-life balance situation, persevere through those things because over time they do make you stronger. And, and in many ways, I probably learned from my failures as much as I learned from my successes. And, and I would say being humble and, and recognizing that the older you get, the more you have to learn and the more that you'll persevere and succeed over a series of ups and downs like uh, like mountains. So I, I think perseverance is a key. Uh, some people call it resilience now, but resilience or perseverance is, is my parting thought. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for all you've contributed for many years. And I, I've been fortunate enough to be able to walk a little bit of that path with you. And it, it is always a joy. Thank um, you. So thank you, Anne, for today, for sharing your stories, your insights. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode as we continue our nursing series. And Anne, again, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the honor of being asked. That's a wrap for today's episodes of Leaders Leaving Legacies, the nursing series. We were honored to have Ann Scott Lewin as our guest today and to delve into the topic of authentic leadership and the positive impact you can make on the profession and the world. We hope you found our conversation enlightening and inspiring. And if you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your support does mean a lot to us, and we would appreciate if you could let us know how we're doing and leave a rating and a review. Also, don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and to visit our website, l3advisors.org slash learn, where you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. Join us next time as we continue to explore the topic of leaders leaving a legacy where we'll interview more insightful guests. And until then, stay curious and keep working towards your own meaningful legacy.